0: Welcome to the Possibility Podcast with Sarah Knight. This is Session 4, Talking Our Current Crisis of Disconnection from the Algonquin Teachings and Worldview Perspective with Algonquin Mati Traditional Knowledge Keeper, Tim Yerington. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Possibility Podcast. Uh, today I have with me Tim yearington Tim is an Algonquin Matí traditional knowledge keeper who works at Queen's University here in Kingston. Uh, he's a traditional knowledge keeper also for the local community and I met him recently at a local climate symposium uh, where Tim was sharing knowledge and wisdom um, from his ancestry and his land and their view of the environment, of human beings, of the world, of time. It was a beautiful presentation. Tim is from Kitchi Zibi, Great River Territory, uh, in the Ottawa Valley. And in addition to being a traditional knowledge educator through the sharing of Algonquin teachings and worldview, he is a public speaker, a published author, writer, and artist. Um, So thank you very much, Tim, for joining me here. You're welcome. So, Tim, I would love to start actually where you started off um, when I met you Uh, Last Saturday, uh, you shared a beautiful story about Turtle Island, which is the indigenous name for North America, and the creation of Turtle Island. I wonder if you might share that story.
1: First of all, it's an honor to be here and speaking with you and sharing some uh, traditional Algonquin knowledge and worldview. The creation story that we refer to the most is the creation of uh, Turtle Island, which is what we see north america as so north america is seen as a giant turtle um that came into being after the melting of the last ice age and it's a very very long story and i don't really have a chance to say that whole thing but i'll paraphrase it at that time when the uh when the glaciers melted um, the ocean levels went up around the world and that's why every Every culture on the planet has a creation myth or a creation story. For us in our Algonquin territory, um, there's, a, there's a highland area in Algonquin Park which is called the Algonquin Dome. And sometimes that area is seen as the originating site of Turtle Island, but that's not really based on any kind of scientific fact. That's just based on uh, traditional knowledge that's been passed down through the elders. When the earth was covered with water, we called it the time of the great water, and all of the human beings and all the animals that had survived the, uh, the ice age and the rising of the great water, they were struggling together in a pod, and they were swimming and treading water, and a lot of those beings died. And out of frustration, the leader said, we need to do something about this. We need to create a new world, and how are we going to do that? And a little turtle spoke up and said, "Well, I've had a dream, but I'm not really sure about all the details. But I'm pretty sure we have to go down to the bottom of this great water, and and get something that can help us create a new world. So one by one, all the animals decided to uh, to go down. And uh, by the way, they're they're all they're up on top of a big log now, which is part of the story, which is near the beginning. But you know, they uh, they're all together floating on this big log and." One by one, all the animals decide to go down and the beaver goes first because the beaver believes he's the best and he's the strongest swimmer and the biggest tail and the the largest chest cavity to hold as much oxygen as he needs. So he goes down first, but he fails. He comes back very quickly and he's kind of traumatized with how cold the water is and how deep and dark it is. And all the other animals and the human beings, they're very worried now because their strongest swimmer has failed. So then the otter goes and she comes back with the same story she's terrified and the water's too deep it's too cold and then the loon tries and all the swimmers try and eventually one by one they all try and they all fail the human beings don't even bother to try because they already know that they're not the greatest swimmers and they're not going to they're not going to get very very far down so they they honor the power and the the strength and the wisdom of the animal world but the animal world you know has to admit defeat so just before they're about to give up they hear from the far end of the log this little voice and this little muskrat speaks up and she says well I would like to try and they all mock her and they laugh at her and the wolf speaks up and says well wait a minute you know muskrat is one of our sisters and if she believes that she can do it she deserves a chance to try so she dives off the log and she's gone the longest of all the animals she finally comes back And in the middle of her paw, well, first of all, she pops back to the surface, and they retrieve her, and they try to revive her, but she's already died. And they notice that she's holding her paw in a certain way. So they pry open her paw, and right in the middle of her paw is a little dollop of mud from the bottom of the great water. And the turtle speaks up and she says, I remember now what my dream was. Take that mud and spread it on my back. So they spread the mud on the, on the turtle shell. And they spread it so thin you can barely see it. It's almost invisible. So then the turtle decides to use her gifts and she calls to the spirits of the four directions. She uses one leg and she waves it in the east and calls for all her helpers from the east to come. And the wind touches the mud and the mud starts to dry out. Then she takes another arm and she waves it in the south and she calls all her helpers from the south and the wind blows from the south and the mud starts to grow, it starts to get thicker. She takes her third leg and she waves it in the west and she says the same thing. She says all of our helpers from, this, from the west come and help us make a new home. So the wind blows really hard from the west, touches the, the mud on the back of turtle shell and the mud starts to expand wider and wider. And she has another leg and she waves it in the north and says the same thing. All my helpers to the north come here and help us make a new home. And the wind blows really hard from the north, mixes with all the other winds, and turtle shell and the mud on top of turtle's back starts to expand. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And now there's so much mud that she's worried she's going to be crushed on the log. So she slips off into the water and she floats there. And the mud on her back of her shell continues to grow and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and now the turtle is so big she's like this massive island floating out there in the great water and all the animals jump off the log and all the animals the humans follow suit and they climb up the turtle's back and life comes to grow on turtle's back again the plants and the berries and the flowers and the trees and over time um, turtle island comes into being so now all the animals the crawlers the walkers the swimmers and the flyers and the human beings have a new home on turtle island so that's a story that goes way back to uh the melting of the last ice age
0: thank you tim what i um, love about that story and the way that it feels is it really demonstrates the interconnectivity of everything and that we aren't separate the life that springs from the land is not separate from the land. It's all a part of it. And, um, certainly in regards to thinking that it's all up to human beings to shape and mold the landscape as a fundamentally false belief, it was the littlest amongst them, the muskrat, that carried that, that biggest job and brought it through. So on that note, can you tell me a little bit more about where you come from on Turtle Island, and some of the background of your teachings.
1: So I'm an adoptee. I was born in Toronto, and then I was adopted and lived in North Bay. As I was growing up, I always felt that I was Indigenous, but didn't really have any proof or paperwork. Um, Luckily for me, my parents, uh, my adopted parents encouraged that um, exploration about myself, and over time, I, you know, connected the dots and started to understand that it was actually real and I discovered that you know I saw the the Ottawa River in Mattawa for the first time when I was seven or eight years old and it just felt like home I couldn't explain it it just felt like it was somewhere I'd already been so in time when I started to do my own healing work on myself using the teachings of the four directions which is all connected to the story with the turtle and the muskrat and all the other animals and all the other helpers it just started to make sense and i found myself kind of wandering and visiting that territory which was very which became more and more familiar to me and then over time after doing some you know uh, family research Because of doing a DNA test, I met some of the family members who essentially confirmed that all those things that I felt as a kid were actually true. And particularly powerful for me was this homecoming to the Ottawa Valley and the Valley of the Great River, which is what we call Kitschiazibi. And so now I go there as much as I can uh, back to Algonquin Territory and do medicine work and ceremony just to make everything real, you know. It's it's a, it's important for us to be connected to our territory and to our to our home because that's where our ancestors are still. That's where they teach us. That's where they prefer us to be, and that's where we do our best to make it real and and take the teachings and walk our talk.
0: I find it um, very interesting that this you. Tapping into all of this wisdom in your body came from your body knowing that it was that it was there and you just trusting that and recognizing the importance of it. You know, I think it, it reminds me of why in North America, people spend so much time looking for their roots. You know, when I lived in Ireland, I met so many Americans that were over there looking for their roots. And I think on some level, we know how important that is. And we all desperately want to feel that sense of belonging and know where we've come from and allow it into our beings and embrace the resources and the wisdom of that. And so many of us don't know where to begin with it. And so I wonder actually, I mean, where I wanted to go to with this, but I think you've already maybe started with that. You know, part of what we're seeing in the world, we spoke about this earlier before we started recording with climate change. Climate change is just one symptom of disconnection um, in our society. And there's many, many different symptoms that we could talk about, many different ways that it's, that this disconnection is manifesting. And I just wonder if you could share a bit from your from your wisdom, from your teachings, from your body's wisdom on the, the, the roots of this disconnection.
1: That's a big question. I'll give a little answer. First of all, uh, my journey was not so much about, I guess you could say it was rooted in my body because we have what we call blood memory. So it's technically in our body, but... At a deeper level, it's it's within our spirit, it's within our within our consciousness, and that's something that's not really given a lot of credence. Uh, it's it's people are getting more connected to that again, their spirit. But keeping in mind what happened in Canada, that there was an intentional uh, war against that because of the colonial powers that came to Canada, so people became very disconnected from from their true self and their true identity which is really encompassed in a person's spirit and that's all coming back now so when we talk about people who are looking for their roots or their family or where their home territories are that's essentially about that person's spirit is waking up there's something about them that they know is there but they don't know how to find it and that's what they have to do they just have to go and do the work to find it and I've already forgotten what the question was
0: I think you actually answered the question I was asking you you know from from what you carry in your body about wisdom what you what your teachings are what's the roots of our disconnection and you actually well yeah it's kind of about our bodies but it's more about where we've disconnected from spirit and actually people's longing to return to that and that that's what's coming through right now is our is our disconnection from our spirit and so from already from what you've shared and from the way that I what I learned from you on Saturday is that if we are disconnected from spirit, we're disconnected from everything around us. Can you share a bit more about the indigenous view on human beings place in the world as opposed to how we're how? collectively commonly modern society the colonial lists who however you want to frame this kind of mindset that's running through now that human beings are at the top and that this is we just get to do what we want here and that we are separate from other things um, can you share a bit more on the indigenous perspective of actually where human beings fit in this picture
1: I can do that. Keep in mind that what I'm sharing is only knowledge from our territory. I mean, every indigenous nation on Turtle Island and around the world for that matter has their own spin on why things are the way they are and what their creation stories are and what their teachings are. I can only speak of the things that I've known and experienced myself. When we talk about spirit, we recognize that spirit is in everything. It's not just in living objects. It's in inanimate objects as well. So, for example, with stones, we can call the stones grandfathers. You know, we call the sun grandfather. We call the moon grandmother. We're recognizing that those things which are non-human, they still have a spirit. They might be non-human spirits, but they still have spirit. So if we boil it all down, spirit can communicate with spirit. But we have colonial powers and religious powers that came into play to eradicate that and relabel all that as being pagan and demonic and devil worship. So that scared people away from that natural human spirit-to-spirit ability. Uh, We all know that deep down inside, uh, particularly when we're young, when we're children. But as we get older and we get reprogrammed by the dominant culture, We steer away from that because those things we're made to believe are are silly or trivial or evil or bad. And we turn that off. It's like we turn off that switch and we rely on things that make sense, things that are logical, things that are academic or intellectual. And because of that, we get sick. And we know we're sick because it manifests physically in our our organs, and our body uh and it's all really about that disconnection from our spirit which is what we call a person's sacred fire so sometimes it's just coming home to that fire we have a story before turtle island because there was a time way before that and it's it's really a story about how everything came into being and how the first the first things that existed were the first three worlds the fir- and there's a long story that explains this, but I'm just going to say it in a very basic way. The first world that came into being was the uh, the mineral world, the rock, the rock world. Then on top of that world, the creator put the plant world with the addition of water and the atmosphere. Then was established the third world, which was the animal world or the animal kingdom. And this is not just Turtle Island, this is globally around the whole planet then after all of those three worlds got together and started to function equally and spoke the same language then the creator said it was time to bring the human beings down onto the earth so we were created last we're the fourth world are cons- in this story we're considered the fourth world the human world is the fourth which means it's the last which means it's the smallest and it means it's the weakest but because of religious or let's call it spiritual superiority. You know, that shift in consciousness or belief has allowed the human being to think, and it's only a thought, it's not a fact, it's not a truth, that we think that we're the dominant species on the planet. And I guess maybe technically we are, but fundamentally we're not, because we need everything that's already here in order to survive, right? And we're destroying all that. It's like we're at war with our own mother. We poison the oceans, we poison the atmosphere, we're not very ecologically responsible or ethical, and that's kind of a reflection of, that's the outside world, and that's a reflection of what's going on with people with their inside world. So in order to create change, people have to take ownership of their inside world which is their humanity, which is their consciousness, which is their spirit, which is their connection to everything that's been created before we are We're here. Um, Our own hand is an example of that. So if you start with your index finger, that's the first world, then there's the second, or not your index finger, but your pointer finger. So that's the first world, then there's the second world, then there's the third world, and then you can see as the humans, we're the smallest, we're the weakest, right? And if you take away the human world, the other three worlds will be fine. If you take away any of the other worlds, we're the ones that are going to suffer the most. And we might have to go through that in order to learn some big life lessons, because it's happened before.
0: That's a powerful story. I haven't heard that before, and it makes complete sense. That's exactly the way it feels right now, that the the human world is the smallest and the weakest world. And that the world will get on fine without us. Something that was quite common for a while was for the human race to be likened to a virus that the Earth Mother was trying to expel. And I don't think that is an accurate point of view at all. We are, I mean, a, a, a part of creation and with the potential to create beautiful things. I don't think that... That she wants to expel us from her surface, but if that is a byproduct of what we've created, then that's that's what's going to happen. Um, and I mean, part of what we spoke about earlier, the my own place of despair, and you asked me when I told you how I felt despair, you said to me, well, about what exactly? It's like, yeah. What about, about what exactly? And yeah, I'm pretty attached to being alive, and pretty attached to my son being alive, and to hum, the human experience. But I'm way more attached to the Earth being alive. And the despairing part is that the possibility that through our actions we may not only wipe out the fourth world, but but the third world as well. Um, and that through our through our neglect and our unwillingness to to look at our to look at our spirits and and honor our spiritual world. And how we're connected to to everything. At the end, there you touched on time, and I would love for you to share your wisdom on time on on the seasons of time, including you know the seasons of a year, but I guess more on the scale of um, the cycles of the cycles of life.
1: So, time is really a human idea. It's that's all it is. It's an idea. We see the passage of time. Um the animal kingdom, the crawlers, the walkers, the swimmers, the flyers, they're not so concerned about time. Uh, In some of our teachings, we were actually warned to not be too obsessed with time because it takes over. And I mean, we all know today that we're obsessed with time and we're always concerned about time and we don't have enough time. And how much time do I have left to do this interview such as an example? Uh, Time is really just a cycle. It's a I mean the Mayans knew this, pretty much every indigenous nation on the planet has some consciousness or awareness of, of this idea of time. Uh, stone circles in prehistoric Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, those things are examples that our ancestors knew these things, but because of the colonial powers that came, all that lo- knowledge was lost, but it's still there. So in our way, we talk about the, the medicine of the circle, the sacred circle, and that, metis- that circle can be divided into four quadrants, and each quadrant-, quadrant would represent a different season of time. So we would talk about the beginning, which would be the spring, then the summertime, then the fall, then the winter, then it starts again as the spring. So that's a complete cycle or circle of time and as a human being those four seasons reflect the four seasons of time in our own life as human beings so we have spring which is childhood we have summer which is youth we have autumn which is being an adult and then winter which is being a senior or an elder then it starts again so sometimes that is all taught with the concept of the turtle and the turtle shell which is a circle and depending on how the teaching is delivered, the uh, the sacred anatomy of a turtle is connected to the idea of time. And in a very basic way, that's dividing that that oval or that circle into four. And there's a lot of teachings about those four different quadrants of the of the circle, which is today what we call the medicine wheel. But it's really connected to the idea of the four the four places or the four winds, which is what the turtle teaches us in that creation story. There's also a greater cycle of time. Uh, so if you were to anatomically use the turtle as a way to do the math, you can come up with uh, the number for the, the great... Basically, it's called the great... Um, one Great Season. Oh, no, sorry. One Great... Well, it's really seen as one big turtle, but really the turtle is a way to help us remember that springtime is only one year or that's one quadrant of a year but in the greater cycle of time there's also the great spring there's also the great summer there's the great autumn and there's a great winter and in total those four great seasons uh, account for around 26,000 years in time as a cycle and that's what they call the precession of the equinoxes which we heard a lot about in 2012 with the Mayan the Mayan calendar and the the calendar bowl. So that's an indigenous culture that was already well aware of that, you know, a long, long time ago. So when they talked about the end of the Mayan calendar, I mean if you plot time on a circle rather than a straight line, the start of time is the same spot as the beginning of time, which is the same spot as the start of time again, because it's a cycle. You know, but if you're using a digital clock, it doesn't work. If it only works if you look at a circular wall on a clock. You can see how it starts and ends at the same spot you could talk about midnight being an example of that you know the start of the day or the end of the day is just the start of a day it's the same thing so for us it's connected to the turtle which is connected to the land which is connected to the earth which is connected to the sky and it's all so all those teachings are really a way to help us understand that as human beings as the weakest we really don't have much control over anything including time. Time is going to do, we can can watch it and we can observe it. Um, We can wait for the kettle to boil or for the phone to ring, but we're just waiting. We can't control those things. And that's what helps us remember to be humble and that it's okay to just, you know, be weak human beings and that we don't have anything to do with those things beyond our control. All we can do is control ourselves. So that's the work that we need to do, you know, and maybe not be so obsessed with things that are just things. They're just ideas, you know, an idea doesn't put food on your table unless you act on that idea, right? Um, You can't stop a war unless everybody logically and fundamentally and ethically and spiritually understands well, there's a good reason to, to stop that because it's not working. And maybe it means that the, the turtle who represents the earth, which is the feminine side, maybe it's more about honoring the sacred feminine, which is ha- already happening around the world, and less of this uh, male domination, this male dominion idea, because that's not working. And those, the, those old boys clubs, they recognize this, and they're scared, they're terrified. It's like the little boys are going to get their toys taken away from them because everyone else is saying the game's over. It's not working anymore. So we need to change our ways as human beings, because you're just going to blow us all up.
0: You touched on the, on the feminine and the role of the feminine. And what really one piece that I loved that you shared, you worded it so beautifully um, when I heard you speak at that conference, Um, you talked about women and how it's recognized where you come from, that women are the carriers of the medicine. And so can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: when we talk about those roles I mean the men and the women both carry medicine they're different Uh, there's different uses for those medicines and we're talking about not just physical biological medicine we're talking about spiritual medicine uh, intellectual medicine emotional medicine all those medicines play a role but in terms of roles of men and women it's the women that carry the water That's the, that's the element of the Western direction and to balance that or harmonize that the men carry the fire, which is the medicine of the Eastern direction and we need both. So, uh, in our traditional cultures, we recognize those roles as the men being the fire keepers and the women being the fire, the the water carriers. And that means that when the men are struggling emotionally, they need the women to bring them into balance. It's actually the women that help them with their personal beliefs about who they are and what their roles are, and vice versa. It's the men that support the women with the work that they need to do. But if it's just one human being, then that single human being needs to do both jobs. They need to do the fire, carri- the fire carrying and the water carrying, or the water keeping. So even those elements, those, those sacred elements of fire and water, they're connected to these greater cycles of time too. But in terms of time, traditionally we just think of now. We think of the moment of now. What are we going to, what are we going to do now? And what is recognized now is that we're in this time called the seventh fire. When things are changing and people around the planet are waking up to the wisdom and the knowledge and the power of traditional indigenous knowledge, not just from here on Turtle Island either around the planet, and that it's nice to know that those those natural laws and those teachings and the wisdom wasn't really lost. We just forgot where it was because of everything else that took control. So we have to have the courage to go back to the trail to find the things that the elders left behind for us to pick up on whatever trail that is for you. And we pick up those teachings or that knowledge base and we don't just hold it. We don't just think about it. We have to act on those teachings and actually use them so that we can create change. That's the trick, that's the medicine that will help us create the changes that we need to change, or the changes that we need to do. And again, not everybody believes that. So the more demonstrations of change In the outside world and the more dramatic illustrations we have of that uh, in our own lives or in our own cities or on the news or on digital media those are examples of things that are really really changing and I think those are the things that are going to help us uh, wake up and take responsibility because we're starting to see that those things are very very real now and I don't think people really act until things become very real you know unless it affects you personally and again you know change is just a constant and if we can abide by that and have the uh, let's say the humility to admit that there's things that we don't know because we were never taught those things in our dominant civilization that maybe we'd have to go back in time a little bit not literally but go back to the teachings of our ancestors around the whole planet and pick up their teachings and use them because obviously there's a memory of that and they've existed for a long time because obviously they mattered.
0: I love that idea and that helps me understand what you shared when you came in. And I said, you know, how are you feeling? And you said you were feeling frustrated, but you're also feeling hopeful. And, you know, to to that is hopeful, that that wisdom still exists. We've just forgotten where to look for it. Maybe we never learned how to use it. And it's about opening up to um, being willing to, to find it to see it to learn about it and to and to use it and so in your opinion and your experience i guess of being a knowledge keeper sharing your teachings with the kingston community how do you see people are opening up to what you're sharing it seems to be recognized more and more that we really need to turn our attention back to our indigenous people and <clears throat> all the wisdom they carry what they how they actively still live now this is not just for many in indigenous communities this is not just oh yeah this is what was written in our books this is what we used to do no no this is this, These are the principles that we still live by. These are the practices that we still engage in. So it's certainly being recognized this is important and that there's a lot to be learned here and that we need to do it now. But beyond that recognition, that idea that, okay, we need to start trying to engage and open up and have these conversations, is that actually happening in a meaningful way?
1: Yeah, the short answer is yes, it's happening in a meaningful way. And I think here in Canada, it's happening because of the work that was done with the, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which has enlightened and educated people about the the horrors that actually happened in Canada. So Canada is is basically, you know, being mature about this and saying these things really happened and we're responsible for all those things that happen. So what that's doing is it's, it's opening a door to awareness for people to say oh, first of all, I didn't know about that so what else don't I know about? There must be a lot of stuff that I don't know about it because I never heard about it growing up. So with my role at Queens as an exa- just as one example, um, there's more openness. there's more awareness now to uh, what we might call traditional knowledge or TK as they use it. TK stands for traditional knowledge. And it's not so much, well, what we're trying to do is help people understand that, Traditional knowledge is not just something that you learn academically and write about it in a paper and you get your degree or your master's or your doctorate or whatever. The traditional knowledge is based on using it in a traditional way as a human being to help you in life, to guide you in life, to get you through what you need to get through. Because our teachings are rooted in everything that we need to do to survive and get along and, and work together as a community not as this egocentric creature that we've become, you know, where we live separately and independently and we don't care about each other as much as we used to when we were more uh, community-oriented or or tribal, you could say, you could use that word. That's kind of a new age term, tribal, but it's not really that new, right? So there's there's growing awareness, uh, there's growing understanding, and I think... Um, as knowledge keepers, what well, I can only speak for myself, but what we what I try to do is has helped people feel comfortable that it's okay to be ignorant. And the easiest way we do that is to talk about what we call Kiche Mantou or the Great Spirit, which really Kiche really Manato really means the great mystery. So life is a mystery. Why we do the things we do is a mystery. So rather than pretending and thinking that we have all the answers, it's okay to know that we don't know. It's okay to accept that I don't have answers. It's okay to be ignorant. It's okay to be humble. Because that's the only way we can learn and grow. I mean, if a glass is half full, or if a glass is full, you can't put any more in it. So if people think they already have the answers, and I use that word specifically, think, if they think they have all the answers, there's nothing you can tell them. That's like a person in the summer of their life as a, as a youth or a teenager. They already have all the answers and they're very confident to tell you that they know what they're doing. And you can't affect me and you can't do this and you're not the boss of me and blah, blah, blah. Because that's what they do. That's just a natural season in life. So we have to recognize as grown-ups, as adults, well, maybe that ignorant teenager is still inside us. But rather than see that as a negative thing, let's just see that as a positive positive thing and a beautiful thing because if we admit that there's things we don't know or that we're lost, it's okay to admit that you're lost, well now you can find your way and we can give you tools to help you find your way or processes or ceremonies or concepts or teachings to to help us all kind of walk side by side on the trail or maybe one after another depending on the width of the trail of course. And one of my frustrations is, you know, some of the, and I think it's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction to some of the things that are happening maybe in the exterior world with people, but it, it's all rooted in what's happening inside people with their with their healing journeys, with their pain, uh, the things they don't want to face, the realities of their own life, you know, taking responsibility for things that they've done um, because it's easy to point the finger. That's, a, that's another way of, of you know, thinking that you know everything you're not looking at yourself and you're not acknowledging that there's things that you don't know you're not even acknowledging the presence of your own spirit right so those are really really old things which are taught in our stories and our in our legends and our in our teachings and our and are just our way of life which again is really really old we just one example is we can go back 12 13 14, thousand years here right here, just two hours north of Kingston, you know, where, where my ancestors are from. Our our teachings are very, very old, and that's why it's important for us to connect with our ancestors because they still carry the teachings. So the ways that we connect with our ancestors are, are personal. And again, every person is indigenous to the planet somewhere, so we all have ancestors from somewhere and we can connect with them. And we do that through ceremony. We do that through... Um, teachings and community events and it's again bringing that ideology back that the ancestors are still here with us and they want to help us but if that's not your belief and if you have a Christian belief that everything that the indigenous people do are are negative and uh, pagan and about the devil then you need to grow up and wake up and see that that's wrong you need to realize that people did that on purpose to steer people away from earthbound wisdom The wisdom of our ancestors and that's everyone that's not just one place on turtle island so i think a part of what's happening and this is my own personal opinion is within the new age movement it's called the new age but i think people become empowered when they start to learn stuff that's actually old it's human-based it's it's earth-based it's uh it's Maybe a, an idea is is founded upon or is rooted in, a, in an older teaching, an older foundation. So we really have to be careful with that um, because it's almost like that's a way to not take things too serious. We need to look seriously at what those things are really, really based on. And one way to do that is just to honor its indigenous knowledge. It's indigenous human knowledge, indigenous to somewhere, right? And rather than putting a person's personal spin on that knowledge just use it the way it was intended just use it the way it was taught from whatever culture that 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 knowledge comes from you know yeah i guess we're living in a new age moment because tomorrow will be the new age moment and then tomorrow after that will be new age it's all new every day is a new day you know if you think about it that way and in our teaching of the time of the seventh fire we acknowledge the new people right? The new people who are looking for the things that were left behind on the trail from our, from our ancestors and from our elders. And they say that the new people will have to be very careful in how they approach the elders, because some of the elders won't have anything to say because of how they were treated, how they grew up. Residential school would be an example of that. Um, some elders will be afraid to speak up because of how they were treated in the past, right? Under colonial power. Uh, Some elders will have things to say, um, but they're not really about anything traditional because they never learned those things because of what happened in Canada. So it's kind of like they forgot. It's like they're asleep. They don't know. They can have a conversation about the weather, but they can't share anything because they never learned those things. And then they say that the oldest teachings and the most powerful teachings are still retained by the elders that nobody knows where they are and nobody has the desire to spend the time and the energy to actually seek them out and source them out and find them and go to them they're not going to come to you you have to go to them you need to do the work you know in our teachings the creator only goes halfway you have to go the other half and that makes it a relationship that makes it makes it balanced so the task of the new people will be difficult but if they remain strong on their quest the new people will learn these things, they'll pick them up, they'll, they'll utilize them, they'll embrace them, they'll start to learn them and incorporate them into their lives. And a spirit of brotherhood and sisterhood and love and understanding and uh, cohabitation and balance, all that good stuff, all that good medicine will, will start to become more and more um, present. And then collectively, if we pull it off, we will light the 8th fire, which is a time of eternal peace and understanding and all this good stuff. But that's a long way away. We have a lot of work to do. And part of the work is they say that during the time of the 7th fire, the new people are going to reach a fork in the trail. And one fork leads to technology and materialism and economic growth. And the other fork in the trail leads to the teachings of our of our ancestors where we reconnect with our mother and we become more spiritual we become um more responsible ethically to actually what we're doing to our mother and the environment and the sky and all that and again all of that stuff is is really we already know how to do that as human beings because we've survived since a long time ago our ancestors helped us do that without our ancestors we wouldn't even be here So we have to be very careful when we make that choice, when we come to the fork in the trail. And it's not too far, it's just over the horizon. Now in terms of time, I don't know what that is, but there's a belief that the time of the seventh fire kind of started around 2012. Based on the math of the turtle, if you take, I'll just use 364 as an example. So from 2012, add another 364 years, as per what the turtle teaches us uh, that would be hopefully the start of the 8th fire so we're looking at shy of 300 years to do our work maybe but it's going to get harder because we're we've it's like we've kind of lost time for our training because we've been focused on other things things that don't matter as much and it's like we're trying to catch up it's kind of like the 11th hour and we're trying to catch up so we need to have you know hard conversations about those things we need to really look at ourselves and and be responsible for what we're going to do and we have a map we have the teachings um but as creative human beings we have the ability to make choices and not everybody's going to choose that
0: thank you it's really powerful the way you know that the seventh fire and the um the possibilities that exist and I think, you know, going back to what you said earlier, the only sure way that we are not going to be involved in creating the outcome is to just have ideas and not do anything about it. So it's to get really clear about what is the possibility that we're aiming for. Um, do we want to be actively involved in manifesting that eighth fire in the way that humanity gets to be involved in that in that eighth fire? And if so, really, really looking at our actions and what we're doing and what we're doing in this moment. And I love the way you you framed the way that um, the wisdom is available and the teachings are available that, you know, it's, yeah, great spirit, but it's a great mystery. And we're all in this great mystery together and none of us are any better or any worse or any, you know, none of us have done anything wrong that we have landed ourselves in a time and place in the way that we have. I mean, I shared with you part of my story is carrying the shame of my English ancestors and, and feeling somehow responsible for, for their actions. Ultimately, they were just a part of an energy of their time, born in a certain time in a place where they expected to conduct themselves in a certain way. And that energy proved to be more powerful than whatever their individual hearts and spirits were trying to tell them. And again, the only sure way I can ensure that I don't connect with you, I connect with other teachings that are available, is to is to keep carrying that shame and any sense that either because of where I am I'm better than, or because of where I am I am worse than. That's just an excuse to to not do your job, to actually not honor what the Creator has given you, which is the potential to do anything. Once you stop. Just watching the clock and waiting for something to happen to you. Just get up off your butt and do it. So Tim, can you give it to me really clearly? What can we do? Where do we start?
1: Luckily, we've already started. And what we really need to do is be more conscious of developing relationship. Um, Not just relationship with uh, the environment and the planet or with what we're doing ethically with our in our daily lives. If we really want to pull this off, what we need to do is develop relationship. We need relationship between the people in the north, who we could say are the, the white people. We could say um, they're looking at the people in the south, who are the indigenous people. So um, it's really about looking at each other and coming to the fire, coming to the circle, and, and working it out. We had those potentials hundreds of years ago. We had a time called the Fourth Fire, where that actually started, when Samuel Champlain came to Canada and had a vision about um, uh, creating a new a new country where it was actually a merge, a conscious merge of the European people and the Indigenous people. And part of that happened. That that I'm living proof of that. My ancestors are mixed blooded. I'm Métis, and. Uh, there's many people that are mixed from that time and have ancestors from that time. So it's proof that it can be done because it already it already started to happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because another power came in and decided they wanted to have more control over Turtle Island. They're the ones that wore their red coats. And that's the battle that was lost in Montreal. But the French had a different version of that. So even though those are two colonial powers, they had both had totally different ideas and recipes for how things could be um here in North America or on Turtle Island we can still do that but we have to have the desire and the will to do that and the way to do that is to first admit there's things that you don't know you're here perhaps you're a settler you're a new person you're not you haven't been here that long so maybe it's a chance for you to actually talk to your neighbors who have been here a long long time and get their perspective on what can be done to save to save both of our skins because again, we're all into this together. So that's something as simple as having dialogue with each other, forming um, opportunities and events where people can come together and talk about these things. We We would say, you know, welcome to the fire. We're gonna sit around the fire. We'll pass around the pipe. We'll teach you what we know and equally you teach us what you know. You bring us, you know, the scientific perspective of what you know is really happening. You know, you bring us the stats and we'll bring you the solutions maybe you know but again that again that that's all based on people choosing to do that or not and maybe we're going to need some pretty dramatic examples of what's not working to help us realize oh yeah we all have to sit around the fire together we have to work this out and that's part of the seventh fire too is actually acknowledging that there's a fire and that there's everyone in has a fire inside themselves and that we can we can talk the language of fire and And use fire in a good way rather than a negative way like within nuclear warheads and and oil and gas that's using fire in a negative way we can use it in other ways you know and that's what our ancestors were already doing around the planet so that's what i would like to see is uh, conscious intention towards building relationship and that's bringing people together to share the knowledge to share the teachings because it's okay to be ignorant but once you learn these things then you can use them and you can act on them and that will trickle that's like throwing a pebble in a pond because whether they're youth or students or people within companies and organizations the more that we empower people by enlightening them about how to be a good-hearted human being in harmony with your mother the earth then that'll just become ripples and those ripples will become waves and eventually at least we'll have something to work towards together Megwich,
0: is miigwetch the right response Megwich means thank you Megwich. Megwich. it's very similar to the gaelic do you smirgwetch hmm. nice. <laughs> i'll try that nice. one <laughs> how do you say it yeah in, in now it's been a while. I learned I learned the Irish language when I was when I was living over there. Um, but the return response in the Gaelic language, the Irish Gaelic language, would be Dia Muirwitch. So thank you very, very much for joining me today for creating this fire in this room together that we got to sit around. Um, I'm certainly feeling really, really warm. Thank you very much, Tim. You're welcome and thank you for listening. And here's wishing you many new opportunities to sit around the fire of your hearth and deepen your connection with yourself, the people around you, and of course, with your very dear, precious mother, the earth.